I'm Avery Arden of the Rock Candy Podcast Network, and you're listening to Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, a multi-faith podcast of transgender stories. Happy Halloween, Blessed Samhain, a holy All Saints Day, y feliz Dia de Muertos, to all who celebrate any of these current or upcoming holy days, when, in a whole host of ways, we remember the ties that bind death to life. We recognize that any boundary imagined between the seen and unseen, the here and the after, is flimsy indeed. And we honor our ancestors, the cloud of saints, the community of humanity that stretches far into the past and into eternity. If you're interested in some queer history behind Halloween, an old episode of Blessed Are the Binary Breakers explores how the holiday has elevated gender diversity since its origins deep in the ancient Celtic observance of Samhain. As a holiday that has undergone various transitions, traveling across time and space and religious experiences while maintaining its binary-breaking core, Halloween is the perfect time for those of us who don't fit into gender norms to live into our holy truths. Check out episode 29 from October 30th, 2020, titled Halloween is a Queer Thing, from Celtic Peasants to LGBT Communities in the U.S. But first, stick around for today's conversation with Kay Creasel. In the episode you are about to hear, or read, Kay shares some of their experiences as a queer person with Catholic roots and Wiccan branches. As someone likewise raised Catholic, I was thrilled to have the chance to rant about some of Catholicism's failings and to lift up the things worth cherishing from the tradition with somebody who gets it. We also discussed what it's like being non-binary and a chaplain. And we wrap up by talking about Kay's artwork, which I have been a huge fan of for years. Kay uses a lot of textiles and mixed media saturated with queer and Catholic imagery, so it's right up my alley. I urge you to check out Kay's website and their Instagram, at Art to see some of the pieces for yourself. I will also include links to some of that artwork in the episode transcript, along with links to a whole bunch of various topics that get brought up throughout our conversation, but that we didn't have time to discuss in depth. That includes various Wiccan authors and concepts, some Catholic organizations and traditions, and more. Okay, here we go. Right after you hear from another show on the Rock Candy Podcast. Hi, my name is Stephen Long, and I host a show here on Rock Candy called Sacred Tension. It's about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. If you find yourself uncomfortable in your faith, or if you find yourself caught between modern science and ancient religion, or if you're curious about the journeys of others who are sorting out faith and doubt, Sacred Tension is a place where nothing is off limits. You will find conversations with pastors, cult experts, spiritual leaders, and skeptics, all discussing the ways we navigate the faiths we were 
were given. Find Sacred Tension right here on Rock Candy and wherever you listen to podcasts. My name is Kay. My pronouns are they, them, and she, her. I am in Joe Davies County, Illinois. I was raised Catholic. I became a rebellious Wiccan in the late 90s, early 2000s. Now I'm a mess of both of those kind of glom together in a way that makes no sense. I'm a hospice chaplain and I do textile art. Heck yes. Um, I really feel you about having things glommed together and that's definitely something we'll get to in a while because yeah sometimes you you often post about just frustrations as well as joys about getting to interact with Catholics and and stuff like that and it, it always resonates so deeply with me as someone who was also raised Catholic and left but didn't really leave like <laughs> occupying this awkward liminal space where I still sort of dip my toes into it um so what to begin with I would love like just either as detailed or as just sort of a general overview as as you prefer what what in your personal journey got you to this point where you are both Catholic and Wiccan and and your job as a chaplain and all of that. How did how did you get here? Sure. Now I do want to give a little content warning that I will mention child abuse. It's just going to be a brief mention, no details. Mm-hmm. So I was raised Catholic in Chicago in the 90s and child abuse was rampant in that community. Mm-hmm. If you ever saw the movie Spotlight, uh, even though it was about mostly Boston, it was very representative of my upbringing. I didn't know that it was unusual or even abusive for that matter. I just thought, oh, God hates me. That's just what reality is. Mm. And fortunately, I left that community when I went off to a Jesuit high school. And the Jesuits and then the school sisters of St. Francis at my college showed me there was another way. Uh, These were much more compassionate, reasonable people. Mm -hmm. When I was in middle school, my dad, who was a very angry Lutheran, and my parents divorced when I was little, he took me to a metaphysical bookstore in Galena, Illinois. Neither of us knew what a metaphysical bookstore was, but it was this new shop. And we're like, oh, let's go check it out. Uh And I found these books that said things that I never learned in Catholic school. (laughs) And I picked out three or four books by DJ Conway and Silver Raven Wolf. And my dad said, oh, I'm so glad you're taking an interest in religious history. I'll buy these books for you. Oh, okay. They were not about religious history. No. <laughs> You're just like, sure, dad. <laughs> and I I totally soaked up those books. I jumped head first into that very Borders Books brand of Wicca that was popular at the time. Mm. Uh, fortunately, the Jesuits and School Sisters of St. Francis appreciated my love of diet Wicca. Okay. And they really encouraged it. They said, hey, you ask more questions than your Catholic classmates do. So keep at it. Yeah. How how would you describe both what you're calling this diet Wicca? How would you sort of characterize that? And and what do you think sort of let it mesh with what your teachers sort of recognized as, oh, cool, it's causing you to ask questions? 
Sure. So when I say diet Wicca, I essentially mean not Gardnerian, Alexandrian, Dianic, or any of those traditions. Uh, actually, none of these books even mentioned those traditions of Wicca. They might have mentioned Gerald Gardner a couple times with no context. Okay. And instead of any initiatory Wiccan practice, it's very simple. These are the elements. These are an assortment of deities with no context. Mm, okay. uh, this is this is what you can use rosemary for. This is what you can use quartz crystals for, which when I was 12 and 13 was very exciting. Yeah, because you're like, hey, I, I know where the rosemary is kept in the house. I can do this. Exactly. And I think just the fact that I was asking questions altogether mm -hmm. was uh, encouraging yeah for my teachers yeah yeah that you have an interest at all yeah but but yeah so where how did you move from that sort of very watered down form of wicca into something deeper uh, i studied mostly catholic and a little bit of kind of generic pagan feminist theology for about 16 years oh okay Yes. So I studied both just in my personal life and also at school. Mm -hmm. uh, so reading the works of Starhawk, of course, the spiral dance, uh, the works of Elizabeth A. Johnson, Elizabeth Schusler Fiorenza, Diana L. Hayes. And my Catholic upbringing was very, very complementarian, although we didn't use that word. Okay. And I was raised with this idea that because I was not born assigned male at birth that I was just doomed to a life of sin oh, yes yeah yeah so for anyone listening who isn't familiar with complementarianism do you want to give like a really quick summary of it sure the idea of complementarianism is that God created feminine heterosexual cisgender women mm -hmm and masculine heterosexual cisgender men and that's it there's nobody else right right and these two groups are total opposites of each other and they complement each other uh, now to be clear the kind of complementarianism that i was raised with was that the first group the women were inferior sinners okay and the superior men had to take on these powerful leadership roles to take women away from sin. Right, yeah. So I also grew up with this complementarity idea through the Catholic lens, but it was definitely nicer because I had like a nice Catholic church where nothing was very radical, but at least, you know, we're, we're all nice here. And so it was like, they were always so careful to assure us like, this isn't saying that women are inferior to men. Mm -hmm. Everyone just has different roles. And if you live into those roles, that's how you can live into God's will that this is how you live a happy life. And it, it, it is, it's nicer, but it still is so toxic for anyone who just can't or won't fit into those roles. And it, like, I, I imagine that being told that you're inferior and dirty is absolutely way worse. But even just being told that, like, oh, no, it's like separate but equal, basically, is still damaging as well mm -hmm. in, in, in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. And... Fortunately, after I grew out of that situation, I encountered people who 
encouraged me to get into feminist theology, okay. partly as a way to heal from all of that complementarian trauma, mm -hmm. and partly because I was just good at it. <laughs> yeah. If it comes easily to you, make it your passion. <laughs> exactly. And then uh, largely through the feminist studies, I began to realize, wow, this is really white. Mm. This is really cisgender. Mm -hmm. This is really upper class. And it was through all that study and it was through asking all those questions that I came to outgrow that altogether, mm -hmm. which is a little scary because non-binary theology is a field that's just beginning now. And I don't think it's going to look the same as white feminist theology. Right. Uh, at least I hope it doesn't. Right. Yeah. But since you spent so many years studying the feminist theology to have the courage to sort of look beyond that after such a long time, like that is, that is scary when there's not something solid to step onto as your new thing. Um, what has that felt like or looked like? Have you found anything that has provided you some stability? Uh, I've found a handful of online groups mm -hmm. that also seem to be very nebulous and not quite sure where they stand or what's going on yet. Okay. I've found a small handful of books and I have found some community where I am, thank goodness, which is also just trying to figure out where we are and what we're doing, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to spiritual community. Right. So not just like the heady ideas, but actually like forming relationship. Is that what you mean by that? Yes, exactly. I, I struggle with that as well. So for like, I'm, I'm thinking about listeners who might not have any familiar familiarity with some of these ideas at all. If you wouldn't mind, like maybe just giving an example of say something in feminist theology that you've come to realize is really narrow in scope to say being very white or cisgender. Like what, what is an example of that compared to something that would be more expansive? Oh, sure. So part of the way that I was raised was with a, with a lot of body shame. Uh, mm -hmm. I still remember I was actually working as a receptionist in a parish office in Chicago when I read the vagina monologues. Mm -hmm. Like I brought the book with me to the parish office. <laughs> yeah, talking about like peak, peak like cisgender feminism. Yes. yes. Well, <laughs> at the time when I was, I think this was the summer between senior year of high school and freshman year of college. Like that book was very, very helpful to me because I, I right. had come from yeah. so much shame and misinformation. I mean, I'm not saying that the vagina monologues is inherently bad thing. No, no, no. It's, right. It's yeah. just, it's also, it's very late nineties and it is very <laughs> white and it's very cisgender. Yeah. And a lot of feminist theology, especially when you delve more into Wiccan and pagan spaces are very vagina centric. Yeah. And I think yeah. that we do need that for people who come from similar spaces of complementarian shame. And I also think that it needs to be much more expansive than I am woman. I am strong with my strong vagina. Right, right. And yeah, and that is something that I've really struggled with with certain people in my life who are usually like older than I am because I'm I'm 28. So like 
by the time I sort of left like really traditional like Catholicism, there were certain places I could go that were not like the vagina monologues and stuff. And so, but yeah, when I, when I talk to older people who are of that feminist wave of women, like we want to show that women are strong and part of their own experience as being a woman has been like their bodies being degraded in these terrible ways. Like I, I never, like I always struggle to sort of talk about like, sort of affirming them and saying, yeah, no, like you finding ways to see your own body, which includes having like a vagina and stuff as powerful and clean is really good. But is there a way to talk about that that doesn't also sort of imply that all women must have vaginas and all like, have you sort of found a way of talking about that stuff? Because like, I would I would love to hear. Um, like, for example, I remember one time talking to um, somewhat like a, a fellow like minister, you know, she's a, a Christian minister, but very like progressive and very feminist and also wants to be queer affirming and stuff. But I do remember a few years ago, one thing she said to me when I was sort of, I think I sort of just pointed out some of her language around like pregnancy and womanhood and, and pointed out like, well, you know, like there are men who get pregnant too, like trans men. And, and I, I kept it as simple as that. And her response was, Oh, can't women just have one thing? Pregnancy is our thing. It's our power. No. I know. And but I really struggled to figure out how to word it in a way that didn't leave her feeling like, yeah, like she was losing something that she had worked really hard to gain, you know, this idea. Well, there is there is one thing that women have that nobody can take away. That's womanhood. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. As, as simple and as complex as that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, there's the Bleeding Thunder zine. I believe the second issue came out pretty recently. Okay. Uh, I have the first one, and it's it is technically a zine in the sense that it's not traditionally published, but this is a chunky piece of work. It's okay. It takes a long time to get through, which I really appreciate, and it's an assortment of poetry and artwork and prose memoir with all these different non-binary and trans creators about menstruation that's really interesting i'll have to check that out yeah oh i love it yeah and there's the book what fresh hell is this by heather kareen karina okay and it's about menopause and it is strictly non-gendered that is awesome that is really cool yeah that's all that i found so far Okay. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's really it's hard to find stuff. Yes. But thank you. I'll definitely look into those because, and I feel like right now with what's happening with um, abortion bans and reproductive justice being back in in the spotlight, um, finding ways to communicate this stuff is like yeah, exactly extra important right now. And something I I, I sometimes try to say is like you know like yes you like you're right reproductive rights is a woman's issue and it's a trans issue an intersex issue it is an issue of there's racism involved and all like just we don't have to take away from one group to also expand but yeah and I think a part of it too is for people especially cis women who Mm -hmm. do have that background in feminism white feminism white academic feminist feminism Mm -hmm. that is waning it is aging that era is passing because 
it does not serve the next coming generations. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of people see this as something that we need to keep going regardless of who it might serve, Mm. which Jewish feminist theologian Judith Plaskow has written that queer theology is the natural outgrowth of feminist theology. It's not, it's not going away. It's continuing to develop like feminist Mm -hmm. theology questioned gender to begin with. And the questions are continuing beyond what that feminism can offer. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. And that's exciting. But I also I do get how that's scary, like to some people, because I can imagine like 50 years from now, when I'm part of that older generation, and have, you know, invested so much in what I know as queer theology, the the idea that maybe there's a point where it's time to that, you know, something new has come about that I need to, to learn about and, and move on to like, I get why that I get why people are resistant to that, even though it can get really frustrating. Well, I have a plan about that because I have the same worry. Okay. So my plan is when I'm old in a nursing home, uh-huh. I'm going to get a kiddie pool. I'm going to get an inflatable boat and a life jacket and a snorkel. And I'm going to break into the nursing home sound system and I'm going to play I'm on a boat on repeat at full volume. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so whenever you start to stress out about whatever future theology is taking over and queer theology is fading into the background, you can just get on my nursing home boat. Okay. I'm here for it. <laughs> and just chill. Just chill a little just bit. Just chill. Yeah. Just, just freak <laughs> out the staff who have never heard this song before. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be ancient by then, but exactly. <laughs> fantastic. I really like that. I really like that um, plan of action you've got. <laughs> um, where where shall we go next? So we've talked a little bit about sort of, yeah, how you, where you've gone when it comes to spirituality and, and studying. Um, would you be interested in sort of bringing in your personal gender experience into that? Uh, where along the road you sort of discovered things about your own gender and how that impacted where you were headed? Sure. So when I was very, very little, maybe four or five, somewhere around there, whenever I saw certain fictional characters like Big Bird or Gumby or the Brave Little Toaster, I assumed that they were a third androgynous gender. Mm -hmm. And I felt very comforted that they were there. Although I did find out much later that canonically, the Brave Little Toaster is a gender. Heck yes. The movie is based on a novella and all the appliances say they are a gender. So that is canonically true. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yes. <laughs> so I, I just, I felt very comforted. I don't think that I had the language at the time to say, oh, that's like me. Uh-huh. But I was just comforted that they were there. Yeah. And then when I started school, that kind of went out the window as I was indoctrinated into, oh, you're a girl. That means you're bad. Right. And fast forward to college when I was reading some pretty dense lesbian separatist second wave tomes. Okay. uh, There were some of those lesbian separatists in the early 80s who wrote that they were a different gender altogether that they were not women and they didn't want to become men Mm -hmm. that lesbian was their gender yes yeah and the idea was not just that they were a fab 
attracted to other women. It was also that they were bowing out of the binary altogether. And I, I was a huge L word fan. I saw <laughs> Katie Lang in concert. So when I found out that there was the option to claim lesbian as a gender, I was all in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did that. And then I graduated in 2009 and I moved back to Chicago and I joined Genderqueer Chicago. And this was also when I was taking a break from religion and spirituality altogether. I had really wanted my local Wiccan communities to be social justice minded and they weren't. So I just took a break for a few years and I was really questioning my gender and I was experimenting a lot while I was thinking about returning to spiritual practice, spiritual community, spiritual spaces, spiritual study. And it was all messy. The gender was all messy. The spirituality was all messy. And I loved it. Uh-huh. Like I, I, I didn't want it to be clear cut and easily identified yes, because yeah. I feel like that's for me, insincere, and um, it's continued to be messy. Mm-hmm. Although lately, so I did work for the Roman Catholic Church for five years, and while doing that, even though I loved my job and I loved the people I worked with closely, mm-hmm. the diocese of Austin, Texas, really cracked down hard on their employees. Yeah. So yeah. I was told privately to keep things quiet. So even though the language around non-binary was finally coming to the fore, I couldn't use it publicly because I wanted to keep my job. I'm I'm sorry, that is really rough. Yeah, yeah. Did you have spaces during that time where you could be more open about that part of yourself? No, Austin, Texas is the ghosting capital of the country. There were spaces that claimed to be supportive for that kind of thing, but uh, I was usually the only person who showed up. Oh, no. So disheartening. Yeah. Well, I I stopped working there, and I moved here back to the Midwest a little bit over a year ago in early 2021. And as soon as I stopped working for the Roman Catholic Church, I jumped out of the closet. I've been fully out ever since then. and. Uh, that's actually caused me to break away from spiritual community altogether. Okay. Yeah. Nobody has told me to leave. Nobody's been rude, at least not intentionally. Mm-hmm. It's more, I don't want to diversify. I don't want to be the ladies and gentlemen and K. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm seeking a spiritual community that has been structurally non-gendered from the get-go. And I don't know if that exists. Yeah, where you don't have to be their guinea pig and do the really difficult work. Yeah. What did it feel like, though, to sort of finally be able to come out after your job? Um, Even with the frustration of then not being able to find a place to like at least a spiritual space, was it, was it still like, were there any like exciting moments or? Oh, it was all exciting. (laughs) It was all exciting. (laughs) Just so many memes I could finally share. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. Yes. Did you did you have any like saved up in your phone like a folder for when I come out? Yes, I did actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh and so I uh, I've seen from social media that like like you said you're a chaplain and you are full you're out there, right? As being non-binary. Yes. That is that is really cool, but um like what does what does that look like on a practical level for you? Oh boy. So my work, like my job, has three main components. There are the patients and their families, there are the coworkers, and then there are the funerals that I preside over. Oh, okay. Yeah. When it comes to patients and their families, it doesn't usually come up. And I don't usually correct people because I mean these are people who are on hospice or their loved ones are on hospice. I like right, yeah. When you're dealing with your loved one who has severe Alzheimer's and is actively on their way out, I'm not gonna come in and be like, by the way, here's my pronoun pin. Please pay attention to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I only interned as a chaplain for a semester, but that was how I was with patients as well, where I would just let them assume whatever they would assume because it's it's not the kind of relationship where like if it's a friendship or or yeah like at a church or something where I'm going to tell people what my pronouns are and as much as I can bear to kind of insist they get it right because I want a real relationship that's like reciprocal I feel like as a chaplain like it's a relationship but you have a very specific role yeah where it, yeah where they don't need to know as much about your life because your role, your job there is to help shepherd them through their life. Exactly. Although a lot of the Alzheimer's patients will refer to me by many different genders in one sentence. <laughs> and I just fun. feel so affirmed. <laughs> yeah, that's really fun. <laughs> yeah, it's like there is nothing to correct in that sentence. Thank you. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. They call me lady, miss, sir, all at once. Yes. Yeah. Um, I I like would sometimes have conversations where like the patient was calling me he and then the person with them was calling me she and they would have a conversation about me like sort of like and just like neither of them would acknowledge they're just like carrying on like and I'm just like okay yeah if you're mixing up the pronouns I don't feel misgendered that's fine (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) yeah and then uh, the funerals fortunately with all the funerals the family member of the deceased who has asked me to do them, like all of them have said, I feel comfortable asking you to do this because there's this family dynamic going on. And I know that you won't be judgmental. Ah, yes, yes. Yes. And a lot of these families have said, there's so-and-so relative who's trans and this part of the family doesn't like it. And they might try to get you on their side. And I know that that's not going to work. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, wow. I I feel so seen. Yeah, that is okay. That is actually really cool. Sorry, I keep interrupting. Oh, it's all right. (laughs) Like it's, I I hope it's okay. Like I'm excited to hear about you being a chaplain who is out because, yeah. While for now at least I'm not pursuing chaplaincy, it is something that I'm considering doing in the future. And so knowing that you're out there, and yeah, probably other like I bet there's other like non-binary chaplains and stuff like knowing that you're out there and doing it and like that it's possible makes me really happy. Yes. Yeah. And like the fact that sometimes people might pick you to be 
their chaplain or yeah to preside over the funeral not sort of in spite of or ignoring that you're non-binary but almost because of like because you are marginalized in a certain way they know that you won't be judgy or that like yes exactly yeah like I think a lot of us worry about sort of like how being queer or being whatever will make will be a detriment to our profession or our our ministry but then we forget that oh it also has advantages like there's certain people we'll connect to in a special way that we wouldn't have otherwise so yes so thank you for that reminder um is there anything else you want to say about your experience as a chaplain before we and, and then if you want we can move on into more of <laughs> like complaining about Catholicism. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm always up for that. Um, well, with the chaplaincy part, something that I've come across a lot is not knowing the differences between a chaplain and a pastor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A pastor has a congregation. A pastor is concerned with the membership of their congregation, whether that's in quantity or demographics or how they're getting their bills paid Mm -hmm. uh pastors preach and chaplains listen yes yes chaplains are not concerned with membership and sometimes i get put into the position of being a pastor and i need to set a very solid boundary of saying i appreciate that you're trying to promote me right now (laughs) but that is not my job Right. Yeah. My job is to sit and listen to people wherever they are right now. Yeah. I remember as like when I interned, um, one, one thing that like one of the sort of teachers of the little baby chaplains would constantly remind us is that, uh, how did they put it? Like when someone is in the hospital, they're in a really vulnerable, vulnerable position and whatever beliefs they have is the boat that's keeping them afloat. So don't start poking holes in their boat if if their boat is currently fine. Yes. If they if their boat's already full of holes based on what they've brought in, like if they are struggling with what they believe, by all means help them patch up that boat and help them dis- determine for themselves if they need a new boat and, and all of that and then the metaphor get, goes too far, but but like <laughs> but like yeah, not to be trying to sell them on your your cool new boat whether that is Christianity or or like progressive like oh cool like just yeah like to you're not trying to sell them anything well my boat is mostly duct tape so i'm not going to tell anybody to get on it (laughs) yeah that you have the i mean your your boat in the nursing home (laughs) that's a good Ah, yes okay (laughs) we we can all sing to i'm on a boat (laughs) (laughs) together yeah so what does what do you love most about chaplaincy about being that person who listens i i really enjoy when people open up and tell me their stories and sometimes it's a very simple story of them and their siblings walking from the farm to church every sunday and singing together as a family like sometimes it is that simple Mm -hmm. and a lot of the time these stories they don't really go anywhere sometimes as the chaplain i'm the only person who gets them uh-huh. so i i really try to cherish them because it clearly means a lot to these people i mean some of these people that is the only thing that they remember yeah yeah 
And for some people, the stories are much more difficult and they don't know where they stand and they haven't known where they stand for a long time, which I can really relate to. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, well, thank you for telling me. I, I can be there in your uncertainty with you. Yes. I do think it can be really hard to get into the mindset of a chaplain when you're not used to it, to just listening and knowing that you don't have to fix everything. Was that hard for you to get used to or? Oh, no, I wouldn't say it's hard at all. Okay. Uh, mostly because I have made it a point to sit and listen to older men who have gone through the AIDS epidemic. And while the greater context is very different, I don't really see my job as as that different. Yeah. Wow. Because when these men have told me about their loved ones who who died and how scary things were and entire communities being wiped out, like, no, I'm not going to fix it. Right. All I can do is sit and listen and just be with them. And when I'm sitting with somebody who is dying of cancer, it's it's really not that different. Yeah. I mean, words fail. Mm-hmm. Well, some people enjoy music. Some people enjoy silence. Some people enjoy a good joke. <laughs> mm-hmm. So part of it is just trying to figure out what would best benefit this individual. And that usually involves more just sitting and listening. Do you ever get the chance to, like, bring your art into into your work sort of when i uh, preside over funerals i usually wear a clerical collar sure if the family asks me not to i don't but i usually do because that way everybody can look at me and know immediately what why i'm there and not have to try to remember if they know you like oh, is this a family member who is this? exactly <laughs> yeah and I made my own clerical shirt. Nice. Awesome. Yes. So it it usually gets comments. Uh (laughs) And it's not solid black. Uh, I was given this batik kind of burgundy red material with a fish design on it. And it's not, it's not like a cheesy Midwestern dad fish design. (laughs) Mm -hmm. A lot of people interpret it as loaves and fishes, which it's like, if you interpret it that way, good for you. So there aren't very many ways for me to integrate my art into the chaplaincy, but whenever I preside over a funeral, I I wear that. And I've also found that it helps to disarm people because it's, it doesn't look like a uniform. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So I think looking at like my list of questions I came up with, sort of the main places to go would be to talk about your art and to talk about Catholicism a bit more. Do you have a, a preference for where we where we go first? Uh, let's do the Catholic griping first. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then we can end on a beautiful creative note. I like yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, part of the whole uh, being fully out as non-binary has been disillusionment from certain Catholic feminist organizations. I'm, I'm, I'm going to name names here. Okay. <laughs> so I had pursued ordination through the Roman Catholic women priests, and it did not happen. I dropped out of seminary primarily because I couldn't afford it anymore. Yeah. Even though I had a 4.0, I was getting no scholarships. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
and I was getting no denominational support because in the Roman Catholic Church, if you are not a cisgender man, you're not an investment. Yeah, wait, so I guess, okay, I guess I'm not familiar with that. So this is Roman Catholic women. Is it like a Vatican approved? No, 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 <laughs> no. Okay, that's why I was confused. I was like, okay, so they, but they still identify as like, they still belong like they consider themselves to be part of the roman catholic church it's not like um yeah because i know there are like catholic groups that are like yeah we're not roman catholic the like the old catholic or independent catholic yes like the old yes yeah yeah roman catholic women priests they do have the roman apostolic succession gotcha okay and when they were founded 20-ish years ago there was an italian bishop who got on a boat with, I think, a dozen women okay. on the Danube River, because if you're on a body of water, you're not in a diocese. <laughs> like, they found a legal loophole, and they did it. Heck yes, I like and it. And he, he ordained them. And a few months after that, I think a different Italian bishop made one of those women a bishop specifically so that the women could ordain other women because only a bishop can do that so they do have roman apostolic succession right yeah so a very large part of their roman catholic identity as the group title is they have that they are a part of it like nobody can take that away from them even priests who get defrocked are not un apostolic succession that is that is really cool and and yet still not perfect. <laughs> yeah, uh, the organization they do have. Uh, I believe they have a, a pair of cis men who are married to each other. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's at least one trans Roman Catholic woman priest, and they are technically open to non-binary people. There might be a non-binary one now, for, as far as I know. Uh-huh. Um, I still find it to be very gendered and also uh, very disorganized. Okay. (laughs) I I was supposed to be given my own personal Roman Catholic woman priest as a spiritual director throughout the discernment process. Uh And I didn't get one. Oh, yeah. And I, I feel that just the, I mean, I've been to a lot of like churches that are not Catholic that are like super progressive and stuff. Where, like, they, you know, they say they're, like, fully LGBT affirming, but when it comes to, and, like, they support non-binary people in theory, but they've changed nothing about their spaces or their language to actually make that true. Exactly, yeah. And it's really frustrating. (laughs) Yeah, and there are other groups, too, such as Future Church water that's women's alliance of theological and educational resources i hope i got that initialism correct um a lot of groups with mary magdalene in the name mm-hmm. and just a lot of these very uh feminist catholic groups uh, the women's ordination conference and women's ordination worldwide they're all very very gendered and they're all very very white yeah, if if you caught Pope Francis's visit to Canada, uh, when was that? June or July? I only know about it because you posted about it. Yeah, 
that's largely because I just am not like when it comes to like social media and stuff like keeping up with Catholic news, I just don't like I don't have many people. But even the few Catholic like things I do follow. So like maybe four things you were the only person who, who, who I saw a post about that. And I'm so glad you did because it's a you. big deal. If if you don't mind, like just briefly summarizing like what that was about, because I think it is a really good example of of a major failing. Yep. In white Christianity as a whole. Yes. So when Pope Francis came to Canada, he did go to make an official apology to the First Nations people about the residential schools. And it was this big event with several thousand people with Pope Francis and a whole bunch of men on the stage. Right. And a few men spoke and he did say his apology. Now I do wanna say a lot of residential school survivors had worked very, very hard to go to this event. And they said, they had been waiting to hear this for a long time and it means a lot to them. Yeah, yeah. And there were also people saying this is not enough. Right. Especially yeah. since there were no promises made for structural changes after this event. And uh, one of the men at the event gave Pope Francis a traditional war bonnet, which has been very controversial. I am very white. I am not going to speak on that. I highly recommend you listen to the Native America Calling podcast episode about it because okay. they know much better than I do. And after Pope Francis was done speaking, after he was given this bonnet, uh, this Cree woman, C. Pico, stood up and she sang the original Cree song upon which the song O Canada was based. Oh, I didn't know that part. And and just to clarify, she stood up. This was not a scheduled event. No, no. She was in the she was in the yeah, audience. Yeah, right, cuz there were no women scheduled to speak. Correct. Yeah. Yes. And after she was done singing, uh, I'm going to paraphrase, uh, she told him essentially you have no authority here. You need to make this right. That's very paraphrased. And after that, things just moved on. Pope Francis went on to say another mass in Canada in Latin, which uh, was <laughs> in bad taste in so many ways. Yeah, yeah. The, the most the most relevant way within this context is that was the language spoken by the abusers at the residential schools. Yes, yes that if if the point is that we're going to try to make amends or move on or anything like that to pick latin is, yeah 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 strange choice there yes and i was very disappointed that i i listened to the native america calling podcast i follow fawn wood and other first nations people on social media and they were just talking about this all week mm -hmm. and none of the Catholic feminist organizations that I used to follow mentioned it. Even the lapsed Catholic podcast posted about it. Like that's, that's, that's pretty sad when the lapsed Catholics care more than the actual Catholics. 
Well, and it should be a big deal. Yeah. Well, after that, I just thought a lot of these Catholic feminist organizations claim to try to elevate women's voices in the church. And I thought, no, you're elevating white women's voices. Yeah. yeah. So I, I bailed from all of them. And it sucks because even during the pandemic, I took some solace in having these online spiritual communities. And now I don't have those anymore. That is another like a, a complex thing of deciding when it's worth trying to stay in any kind of community and see if you can help make them better versus when it's time to leave and when the bigger message comes and, and leave. Yeah. Well, this was also pretty shortly after my decision that I was not going to join any real life spiritual community where I'm a diversifier. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when it came to these online spaces, it was pretty much the same decision. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. It's it's not a fun role to have to play, especially when you're trying to find a place to like spiritually nourish yourself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So for the Catholic Church as a whole, like I think it I think the one one post that you made, I think not long after Pope Francis's visit and you posted about being disappointed in these feminist Catholic groups. Uh, a little after that, you posted about how one thing that brought you maybe like a little like, oh yeah, okay, sometimes like Catholic tradition is still sometimes mean, like meaningful is that you had patients, I think you were saying that, patients who were talking about the richness they got from their faith. Oh yes, yeah. What is what is that like for you, sort of balancing these these feelings about Catholicism? Well, for the most part, the patients and their families who take solace from the church, they're not talking about the Council for the Doctrine of Faith. Right. They're not talking <laughs> they're not talking about the USCCB. That's the United States Council of Catholic bishops maybe it's conference yeah something like that <laughs> yeah they're see, they're not talking about committees right right yeah <laughs> and even though some of them might appreciate different popes uh-huh uh-huh there's a big difference between appreciating what the papal office represents in terms of apostolic succession and then appreciating it as a bureaucratic office right and even though it is technically the same thing it's also very complex yeah and i don't have anybody saying i really appreciate appreciate that bureaucracy i <laughs> know uh, the patients they appreciate the saints yes they appreciate yes. the rosary they appreciate the sacred heart blessed heart immaculate heart and angels and ember days which is official catholic weather divination what although if you say that to most catholics they won't oh my gosh i gotta look this up you're giving me all these cool things i need to look into <laughs> yes oh i just i love it when my patients teach me catholic folk magic and they don't realize yes. it <laughs> yes oh that's so fun yeah i i do really appreciate that folk catholicism is having a moment right now between yes. online spaces and podcasts and all the stuff going on yeah yes yeah yeah that it can be spread wider than it might have been able to in the past yeah do you do any of those practices in your own spiritual life 
Oh, yes. I, I did sort of participate in the Ember Days. Oh, that would have been in June. So what Ember Days are, now the Wikipedia page is very good. That's E, e M as in Melissa, B as in Barbara, E-R, Ember Days. Okay. There are four sets of three Ember Days each year. And they come after certain holy days. Like there, there are three Ember Days after the Feast of St. Lucy, which is December 13th. And the weather on each day determines what the weather of the next month will be. Okay. So like there's the first Ember Day after the Feast of St. Lucy will be whatever the first Wednesday is after December 13th. And whatever the weather is that day will tell you what the weather that January will be like. Okay. And then the second number day will be how February will be and so on. And I, that's weather divination. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree with you that like finding out that kind, those elements to Catholic tradition, like things that have been practiced by faithful and devout Catholics for, you know, as long as the Catholic Church has been around is definitely like what sort of inspires me to consider, like I, I continue to, call myself catholic among other things mm -hmm. even though i no longer i don't call i don't consider myself a roman catholic anymore yes yeah but just catholic or particularly like for me irish catholic like there's a lot of like traditions that i know of just like or sort of grew up with because my family is irish catholic in particular like um like i'm sitting here right now with my wall of saints right <laughs> yes just just, oh, and the thing that always gets to me and both makes me so angry, but also like, just, I don't know the word, like, just, it makes me kind of like giddy is how queer Catholicism is. Mm, yes. And like, it makes me so angry how the the institution is so queer phobic and, and racist, you know, all the things, sexist, mm -hmm. all of it, while the actual beliefs, like the are so queer the heart of of the catholic faith is so queer and it's just hilarious in it, oh just in a yeah mm -hmm. the feeling that it causes to surge up in me is really hard to name <laughs> <laughs> but like i mean like look at joan of arc oh yes now you know that we have a, a pretty special folk catholic day coming up soon right oh i do not what is it September 29th okay. is Michaelmas, the feast of St. Um, Michael, mm -hmm. the Archangel. And it's also kind of the All the Angels Day. Mm -hmm. And even though St. Michael is usually depicted as a manly man in yeah. manly masculine armor for a man, <laughs> angels are non-binary. Right. Yeah, angels yeah. are agender. So that is a big queer day. And my favorite piece of lore around Michaelmas. So there's the legend that St. Michael cast the devil out of heaven. Right, yeah. And the devil landed on blackberries. And you know, blackberries are full of thorns. Right. So, so every year on Michaelmas, just out of vengeance and spite, the devil goes around and pisses on all the blackberry bushes, <laughs> which is why after St. Michael's Day, do not eat wild blackberries. Oh, my gosh. But, okay. here, but 
there's <laughs> there's reality to the story because Michaelmas is usually when the first frost happens. Mm. And when the first frost happens, blackberries get a mold that will make you sick. Oh my gosh. I love like I love how so much like folklore like there will often be like real like fact to it. Yes, exactly. So don't go out and eat those devil piss blackberries. <laughs> yeah. That's the devil's mold. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that is fun to know. Is there anything else you would want to say to like about um the Catholic Church or what what you retain of it versus what you let go? Any of that before we move on to talking about your art? Oh, sure. Um it's constantly in motion. I feel like for a large chunk of this year, there's been a lot of just not knowing. And while I do still pay some attention to the Roman Catholic Church, and while I do really cherish folk Catholic practices, like I haven't been to Mass in a long time. Same. And I don't, I don't know if or when that's going to change. And I, I hope that I'm not in the space that I'm in spiritually now for much longer because I feel pretty adrift, yeah. but I, I don't know what it will look like when I'm not adrift anymore. I really feel that. I like, I'm in a weird place where I guess, I mean, it, it's really weird to be in these positions where like, we're both like ministers, like you're a chaplain and to still have that kind of a drift sense for your own like per- personal spirituality. Like I feel that way and have for like quite a while where I do like ministry where I'm ministering to other people and talking them through faith and talking about faith a lot and even occasionally like preaching and stuff while going through all this, like this sense of being unmoored is it's like, it's, it's a really weird feeling. Um, Yes. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with you where sort of just the hope that it's not permanent. And like, for me, at least I sort of, because I've been in this position before and have found somewhere to land for at least a while, like the the sort of trust that, yeah, it's not permanent. And, and when I look back, I'll realize I have like, you know, that the time of drifting was beneficial and you know, that I gained things from it, but it, it's still tough. Yeah. I think the thing that would be most helpful to me, and I've been thinking this for many months now, I would really like a non-binary spiritual director who at least understands Catholicism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have created throughout this entire year a Google document of non-binary spiritual resources, books, groups, uh, people who create content online. I cannot find any spiritual directors. Yeah. Wow. I'm like... I guess I'm not surprised by that fact, but it it does make me sad. Yes. I really, my hope for you is that someday you're able to find that. Thank you. In the meantime, do you want to talk about your, your artwork? Because trying to remember the first time I saw one of your pieces, um, I've just always, like ever since I've found you and I have no memory of where or when that would have been, but I've been so enamored with your stuff. I actually have, I have your um one of your 3D printed Mary figures, just one of the tiny ones yeah. um, <laughs> on my altar here. And then I think last year I 
I think last year for like my birthday, actually, I, I bought myself one of your larger pieces. Um, yeah, you got the the trans flag angel. Yes. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, you remember? Yeah, the, the this this angel um, with yeah the trans flag like in quilting behind them and and their wings and the trans colors and it it's it's hanging above my altar and I just I love it so much. It's, oh, thank you. I I always do my like tea shot every week here right next to my altar. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it's usually that angel that I'm like just looking at as I sort of say my prayer before I do the shot. Oh, wow, that's so <laughs> sacramental. Yeah. <laughs> it is it very much like it has turned what was not a fun weekly routine into a sort of into a, a a sacrament yeah I like that word oh I'm honored so yeah like how did you when did you start doing art and when did it start sort of taking the shape it has oh boy uh so when I was six years old one of my cousins married a professional artist okay and she and I got to be very very close and whenever I would see her, she would just casually take out a sketch pad and some charcoal and just sketch for fun. Like, that's just what she does. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so cool that I wanted to sketch along with her. And she she helped me learn how to see. Because there's a big difference between, for example, drawing what you think a banana looks like. <laughs> uh-huh. And then if you buy a banana and you put it down in front of you and you actually look at it and you draw all the weird blemishes on the flesh and you draw like the little piece of plastic that's still stuck on the stem. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, that's a very different experience. And she taught me how to see that way. And she would actually, starting when I was 11 years old, take me to figure drawing studios. Cool. It was great because uh, apparently a couple of weeks before she got this idea, somebody had brought their 16-year-old niece or something who was so rude. Oh, no. And and the studio said, no minors anymore. No more children. <laughs> yeah. But my cousin kind of encouraged them to give me a chance. And I was I was very respectful. I I took it very, very seriously. And they said, okay, you can come. And I, I went for years and I loved it. That is really awesome. I love, I'm so happy you had like that support, that like early support in your life. That's really cool. Oh yeah. And then I actually went to college for art therapy. Ooh, okay. Yes. Uh, then I graduated in 2009, peak recession time. <laughs> and I worked very hard to get my work into a gallery and it just it didn't happen I worked very hard for years and it never happened and eventually I stopped I just took a break from art entirely for years and my eldest aunt was a master quilter and she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in early 2015 right after I had moved to Austin Texas so I drove from Austin to Minneapolis to help my family take care of her for a week. And she told me to take all the fabric and all the thread and all of the ribbon, all the sewing supplies. And I drove back with five rubber maids. Now, keep in mind, I was sleeping in my car on this trip. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I just kind of wedged myself between this precious cargo. <laughs> Yes, yes. Oh, and that kind of gift is just 
one of the biggest gifts an artist can give you. Yes. Yeah. And I just began experimenting because textiles are expensive. Right. And suddenly you have a ton of it. Exactly. And I don't have to buy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I've still just been experimenting. Wow. Seven years later. Wow. (laughs) And uh, my partner got a 3D printer a few years ago and I started experimenting with 3D printing Mother Mary figurines. Uh So um, my mother was very abusive. I, I cut contact with her a long time ago. I should have done it a lot sooner. Uh, fortunately, my extended family, they're all fantastic. So they've, they've really stepped in. But whenever I feel the need to have maternal love, I turn to Mother Mary because she's provided it more than my human mother has. So Marian imagery is a, a major theme because creating art especially textile art is a prayer technique for me yes absolutely yeah yeah and i mean for one thing it just takes so dang long that that it really becomes a meditation exactly and i've created a lot of catholic queer artwork Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because i i want it to be in the world like i just want more of it and the best way to do that is to just make it yes and yeah, like, I, I like that, just what you call experimenting, like, um, I've seen some of your stuff has like butterfly um, imagery yes. brought into it and stuff like that is just, it's so creative. And it always, when a lot of times when I see your artwork, um, it sort of makes me pause and think about, oh, well, what what are they trying to say about, about Mary for in depicting her this way? And like, just gets me thinking about Mary and like I mean like I also am very like I think about Mary all the time but that like you know there's always new and fresh ways well something that I have been working on now is I'm making a textile uh church altar space okay so something I really love about the midwest is like I drive a lot for work and whenever I need to stretch my legs, I, I usually try to visit an old church. Usually, if there are any words on the stained glass windows, they're in German, like they're that old. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of them have these extremely intricate wood-carved altar spaces. Oh, uh, okay. Yes. And very gothic with a lot of uh, gold and inlay and all this other stuff. Yeah. All the and curly cues that are that gathered dust really (laughs) yes exactly and i've decided to try to recreate that in textiles oh okay oh very cool yes and i'm trying to do it in a 3d capacity i haven't quite figured that part out yet but yeah that's like my brain i'm like (laughs) i'm like that meme of that that meme of like that lady with all the calculations going over her face (laughs) Ooh, what yes. is this going to look like? Yes. I'm intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> now, just imagine that all of those geometric designs and numbers are embroidered, and that's me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll be really neat. Um, I'm excited to see whatever you come up with. Thank you. How long have you been working on it or thinking or planning it? Like a week. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's a it's a baby project. It's, yes. Yeah. It's new. Yeah. Very cool. 
So what is for you, especially in these times in your life where you don't have a very big community, like other people, you've had to walk away from so many communities where you can connect to other people. Does your art, and especially like the chance to just connect with saints like Mary, does it help sort of fill that space or or is it just different? I would say that here in the rural Midwest, it does in a way that I did not get in any big city. So uh, church garage sales are very common here. <laughs> and there's there's a lot of Catholic kitsch. Oh, man, I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot out here. I live in like Protestant city, like um, just not that many Catholics around. So when I go to secondhand stuff, they never have Catholics. Oh, man, you, sh- <laughs> you should come to Dubuque. It's extremely okay. <laughs> Catholic out here. Nice. So nice. even though I, I do still have tons of fabric and thread and all that great stuff, uh, whenever there's a, a Catholic garage sale, or the the Dickieville Grotto. I don't know if you know what that is. I don't think so. No. Dickieville is this extremely tiny town in southwestern Wisconsin. Okay. And about a hundred years ago, the church, uh, Holy Ghost Church, they built a very large grotto out of seashells and colored glass and gemstones and old plates and it's and porcelain dolls like it is just a giant mosaic whoa porcelain dolls are they of saints or what is uh, it's it's a mismatch it's okay they do have yeah. a lot of saints and then they're also just these old porcelain antique dolls just added into a mosaic i guess because they had it that is oh my gosh that that sounds really cool <laughs> it's great and, and fun and like yeah yes and that that church has a gift shop okay with just all the catholic kits you could ever want to buy yes (laughs) so i love that i can just get like blessed heart pendants and a huge variety of marian pendants uh pins you name it and buttons ribbons every all catholic everything that i can work into my artwork and Whenever I buy like a very old broken rosary that nobody knows how to fix and people ask me, what are you going to do with that? And I tell them, I don't know yet, but I'm probably going to sew it into a quilt. Mm -hmm. Then that, that starts a story. And a lot of people will tell me, oh, well, this miraculous metal that's surrounded by rhinestones meant a lot to my grandmother but i don't want it i'm glad that it's going to somebody who can appreciate it oh wow yeah and who will transform it and give it new life exactly yeah so here in the very catholic midwest when i create an artwork with these old catholic kitschy pieces it is part of a much larger Mm -hmm. story that's really beautiful and i'm and I'm still thinking of this plaster plaque of Jesus at the local St. Vincent de Paul store. And 
for some reason he has bright pink lips i think i think i have to go back and get it i think you might i mean like lipstick pink is that yes hell yeah so like femme jesus yes extreme femme jesus i can bedazzle him yeah i think he's calling to you you gotta go get him i think he is (laughs) fabulous i was thinking for me i make like um embroidery patches like for people to sew on their like bags or coats or whatever um yeah and uh, they're usually like queer and or autistic and or faith stuff and like for me i i love selling them on etsy because i just i love to think about who they're going to and how it will be meaningful to them like Mm. you know like and I feel like for you, like, yeah, especially because you are giving new life to stuff that already had a life and then it's going to go on to somebody else who who will incorporate it into their their own spiritual life. Like just for me, it's just it's really nice to to be part of like it's a way of becoming part of someone's life, even though I like most of them I'm never going to meet. Yes. Yeah. Art is cool. <laughs> is the the moral of that story (laughs) so yeah thank you so much for for um, spending your evening this way yeah Um, i deeply appreciate it and i think listeners will will as well so before we get going is there anything that we miss talking about that you'd want to get the chance to say it's okay to be messy Mm. that's really all i got (laughs) Well, thank you. I've loved this. <laughs>